This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 26th of May. And I can welcome my fully open-sourced and thoroughly diagrammed co-host, Yon. Thoroughly diagrammed. I just had an image in my mind from a TV series, The Expanse. If you haven't seen that one, then that doesn't really mean anything to you. <laughs> I'm not going to explain it, but those who have seen it, I think they have an idea. And yeah, they also lost their lunch. <sighs> I was thinking of the, the the film of the guy who had amnesia and actually tattooed lots of things all over his body so he could remember Memento. it. There you go. Anyway, <laughs> with that, f- that those images That's firmly embedded <laughs> in our brain pans, <laughs> it's a news episode. Oh, is that what we're doing today? I, I think movie so. reviews. No. No, I think it is a news episode, and uh, the the topic of diagrams came up because uh, I came across a diagram. Not and in fact, no, I didn't come across a diagram. I came across an article about diagrams that didn't have any diagrams in it. I know, mind blown. <laughs> At least um, it's not Inception. <laughs> yeah, this uh, came across this article on opensource.com entitled Why Diagrams Are Critical to Your Open Source Project Documentation. And uh, yes, the slight irony that the actual article itself has no <laughs> diagrams in it is a little bit um, of a uh, uh, an issue for me that triggers me ever so slightly. But apart from that, I th- actually do think it's quite a good article um, anyone that's vin- visited any sort of uh, github page for any project you know if you're lucky there's you know a readme.md which has got uh, you know a bunch of text on what the project is how you should use it how you can install it and a few other choice uh, bits of information but there's very rarely much more than that on a, a lot of projects that you'll find out there. The the more mature the project, the sort of the more documentation you're likely to find. But it does tend to be, generally speaking, pretty much all text based. There's it takes it seems to take a certain level of um, project maturity before you start to see much more than. You know, even a very simple sort of line diagram of the architecture or anything like that in uh, in a lot of open source projects. What do you think, Neil? No, I, I agree. I mean, the visuals are hard to find, and if you find them, it's on uh, very big and very mature and long running projects already. Now, before I actually, I'm just going to do a little sidestep here. I mean, I, I, I agree with the fact that more diagrams would be good. But also, please, people that make open source things on GitHub and stuff like that, at the beginning of the thing, tell me what the thing is supposed to do. Because sometimes I find a link and it sounds interesting. It does some kind of thingy concerning, okay, but what are you actually doing? And sometimes people <laughs> that are writing the stuff are so in the known. They know what their stuff does. Of course, everybody knows. If I'm new, I'm just visiting this. Just give me a one paragraph thing. This is a library that does this. And then go through the whole... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, sidestep, doesn't matter. We're talking about what comes after that. And the next step then, of course, would be to explain how the thing is doing the thing you just told me it's supposed to be doing. And then you can uh, give me a lot of text, which most of of the time is basically, this is how you install it. But yeah, Yeah. uh, a diagram that explains things in a bit more clear fashion might uh, just do the trick as well. 
And the the nice thing about this article is that it, it talks about the importance of diagrams from a whole bunch of different angles. So, you know, you've got the helping people to understand what this thing is and how it works is is definitely a part of it. But there's there's just as much value, according to this article, and again, something that I, I actually agree with, there's just as much value for the, you know, the, the project um, committers, contributors, maintainers um, themselves for this by drawing something in some way, shape or form that process of drawing it out will often um, either answer some questions or possibly pose some questions that should lead I think to uh, you know a better product overall. If you draw something out you have to go through the action of of you know seeing how the, all these components fit together you you know maybe drawing things like information flows or things like that between components can sometimes highlight uh, either inefficiencies or strange situations that you end up wanting to uh, resolve and the uh, the article also talks about the security implications of just you know going through that process of um, of diagramming anything that's uh, that's going on within the uh, within the particular project that uh, you're talking about so I, I do think that it's it's a very underrated um, underrated piece of the uh, the whole documentation pie and I, I know that generally speaking documentation is also pretty underrated when it comes to um, you know you just your random github project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a pro tip, if you want to get involved in open source and you don't really know how to do it or you're not really a programmer, writing documentation is always in demand. So if you want to oh, do some yes. open source, go for it. I mean, take your pick. Everybody wants you there. Um, coming back to what you said, I mean, underrated, agree, but um, I think there's a reason behind that because, yes, there's a good, a lot, an awful lot of goodness around the whole diagramming and making images and pictures and whatever. The back of the flip side is it's hard. It's actually quite hard to make a diagram that's appealing, informative, and not uh, an effort in obfuscation, let's say, because <laughs> it's not easy to do. And while you're doing it, it's, you're going to go through a number of iterations with open source evolving very quickly on its own, just the code itself, the code base. You'll have to update that uh, diagram all, all the time as well. And there's a big risk there, and that's why I sometimes dislike the visuals that we see on these more mature sites that it becomes a kind of marketing almost a logo it doesn't really have any meaning anymore it's just a bunch of buzzwords tied together to prove the world how good and fantastic it is and yeah you need to get kind of the middle ground there right yeah very much so and you're you're absolutely right about the the whole kind of sunk cost if you like of of I mean, any sort of documentation, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Diagrams especially, but the the number of times where I've poked at a, a project and uh, something hasn't worked the way that I was expecting based on you know, what I'd read and what I'd seen, and the response is, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we changed that. That doesn't work like that anymore. Or, oh, you need, you need to use this config flag. It's, it's not documented. Or, oh, have you tried this option? What option? Um, oh yeah, we we added that last release. It's in the expert uh, settings. Uh, yes, it's in the expert <laughs> settings. I.e., read the code, which is, uh, I mean, again, if you're if you're trying to um, accelerate the uh, widespread adoption of your project, 
putting some effort into documentation, into into diagrams. I mean, even into short videos showing how the mm-hmm. thing works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like fully understand that that is going to be a a drain on a project to keep those things even vaguely up to date. But if you're looking for adoption, that is the way to do it. If you don't care about adoption, if this is just the thing that you put out there to scratch your itch and your itch alone and you're happy maintaining it, working on it, it does what you need to do, fantastic, go for it. But if you want to start building a wider community about it, and for me, community is the, the, the thing that differentiates open source from almost anything else, or the options to build a community. Um, mm-hmm. then you know think about uh, think about documentation think about diagrams think about videos yeah you're totally right I mean I've written a couple of things as well that I thought oh maybe somebody else can use this I'll put it on a GitHub somewhere and it's out there but I don't really care if it does anything that's not real open source real open source as you said is the community thing and there's actually the example of MySQL and Postgres SQL Postgres SQL however you're going to say this these days and the thing I'm getting at here is that documentation and diagrams you want to make it easy, well, easy is maybe not a good word, but at least approachable towards the community. You want to make make people feel like when they start using your project, whatever it is, that there's a fallback, that, there's, that they'll be taken care of, that they'll be able to find the things that they're looking for. If they're cut into a corner somewhere, that there is a way out. And things documentation are very important there. And the MySQL Postgres thing, in, in essence... Uh, back in the days, today I'm, gonna, I'm not going to make any judgment here, but back in the day, Postgres was way more performant than MySQL ever was. But the reason MySQL got, and this is a story, if it's true or not, I don't know, but the, the reasoning behind it is that the reason that MySQL got so popular and Postgres wasn't, MySQL had a Windows installer. Postgres didn't. It just made it easier for people to adopt and use it. And communities are built, definitely at the beginning, by making it easy to adopt. Diagrams, definitely that way, uh, same direction too. Yeah. And you'll often get um, when a project is sort of in its earliest phases, you know, the, the, the people that wrote it have no problems at all deploying it. And everybody outside of that sphere is just like, what on earth is this? How on earth do I get this to work? And then as you as you sort of go down this journey of of trying to increase the adoption of a project you'll see this 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 sort of um, desire to okay now we want it to be installable by you know just someone incredibly smart who's not part of the project you know the the 95th percentile of you know devops engineers should be able to take this code and get it up and running okay yeah that's now that's satisfied okay now now the the 75th percentile you know what will they need to to get that successfully up and running and you know it sort of it tends to move down this sort of flow of you know you want maybe the the 50th 50th percentile of uh uh of devops engineers to be able to install this easily and you want the you know you want you want the sort of 25th and above percentile to have a good chance of getting it successfully up and running or something like that and and it's sort of that that curve or that growth or that sort of journey of adoption diagrams documentation videos uh, you know all of those things i think are a very significant part of of that yeah, but, but I don't need all that stuff. I've got a I've got a forum and a discuss group and a Discord, uh, and people can just ask me questions when they have a problem. 
Yeah. Again, <laughs> I I struggle to see how a lot of these things are likely to scale. Again, you know, yeah. it's it's one of the it's one of the elements of you know, build a, build a community. If you've got a, mm-hmm. a, a significant community around uh, around a project, then yeah, all of those things work. But you need to get there to make that work. Yeah, and people, if you don't have the documentation nicely laid out, people aren't going to go to your Discord or your forums because they've already given up. You need to have them hooked first before they will take the next step to do a, even though it's impersonal, personal conversation with you through a forum or a, a chat channel or something like that. And that being said, I mean, I grew up on the IRC, so I do still really love and like IRC, but it never was a good medium to actually teach somebody to do something. No, no. I am. I am also a a huge proponent of IRC. Although you know things like Discord and Slack have largely uh, taken over in the modern world, but I still have a a love for IRC. <laughs> um, one well, last thing on the, about diagrams that I want to put out there is: be careful if you're not doing it for the marketing speak, but really want to make a diagram that is uh, uh, useful and informative. It's very hard to lie on a diagram. In text, <laughs> in text and in conversation, when you're talking about it, by the time you're on phrase number four, you've forgotten the first one already. So you can kind of meander and skew what you're saying towards whatever you want to make the person believe, I guess, is the right word of saying it. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like this podcast. Uh, I would never say anything like that, ever. <laughs> uh, even if it's on tape. Um, but on a, it, I think it's a bit of a, a serial versus parallel input mechanism. Speech and text is serial. You just go through the lines and read it while a, a diagram. It's all there at once. And you have no control on how somebody will read a somewhat complex diagram and uh, yeah you have to be prepared to uh, make sure that all of the dot i's are dotted the t's are crossed and not everyone is whatever yeah thing you want to say that means what i tried to say here <laughs> you have to make sure it works and you have to really have a good project that actually is working correctly you know how it works and it's that whole thing about when do you actually know something it's when you can actually teach somebody else how to do the thing and being able to teach someone else without talking but just by showing an image I think uh, I guess that's the next step. That's the next uh, expert level step. I think so. I think so. Cool. Anything else on the uh, diagram? Critical diagrams on open source projects. I, and I, I think actually the title is a misnomer a little bit because why diagrams are critical to your open source project? They're critical to any kind of project, <laughs> whether it be software yeah. or something more human resources based or whatever. Projects always work. Uh, this diagrams always work. It's also a good thing to cross language barriers, by the way. Yeah. The article does mention that as well. You know, any any oh. non um, non native uh, speakers mm-hmm. uh, based on the the language that the all the text is written in, but also people absorb information differently. Some people, you know, prefer text based content, and some people are more visual learners. And you know, a, a diagram could help bridge that gap for them. I actually don't agree with that because even if you're if you're not a visual learner but a textual learner, having a diagram to just I don't know, double check something you think you read, that still works. I mean, no, uh, no, definitely. One doesn't I'm not, exclude I'm not saying the other. That, that, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that just because you, you're, you're a, a textual learner or whatever the, the particular term is that uh, diagrams aren't useful. I'm just saying that for some people, diagrams are even more important to them because they struggle 
uh, far more with uh, just parsing text and huge walls of text to absorb knowledge. Yeah, but on the other hand, it's kind of inevitable, right? If you're going to go deep into a project, be open source or not, for me, and maybe I'm wrong there, it's actually an interesting question. For me, a diagram is a is the front door, but there's no way I'm going to get everything out of a diagram. It's a, it's a good way to, to, again, to have the checks and balances, to double check if I understand things correctly and things like that, and to clarify the text. But there will always be a big effort of actually consuming reams of paper, I think the expression is. Indeed. Although now we're in a paperless world, uh, that's <laughs> no longer relevant. Reams of PDFs. Reams of maybe, maybe markup text, way of the world. Yep. Cool. So there was the uh, article: Why diagrams are critical to your open source project documentation on the opensource.com website, and it was written by Mike Bursell, who's a Red Hat correspondent. Uh, well done, Mike. You actually made Dave like your article, which is a mean feat. I know. Indeed. Moving on to the second subject of today's uh, roving reporter call. Uh, I did a bad thing today. I went to the register and started reading articles. No, not again. I only do it once a month on average, I think. Then I've got enough. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think you do bad things more than once a month. (laughs) Yeah, but not on the register. You may only do this bad thing once a month. (laughs) (laughs) That's different. It's all all about measure and uh, something like that. It uh, doesn't okay. matter. When I went to the register, uh, I came across a couple of articles. And one was about IBM. The other one was about HP or HPE, as they're known today now. And uh, the articles themselves aren't really that important. But they both had the same, um, uh, what you call that, uh, storyline, the same content, where both of these big companies, uh, grandfather companies, I mean, these are the, the stalwarts, the, the industry uh, ancients, been around forever, longer than I've been around which is a good thing, I guess, Uh, IBM and HP. And apparently both of these companies, and I'm pretty sure more of these big companies, more of these traditional companies have the same um, thing going on at the moment. They're both going, as they call it, cloud first or pivoting to cloud or doing things, becoming SaaS companies. And it's something that I've been hearing in in the industry, in the environment where I work in and live in, more and more that every company wants to become a cloud-first SaaS company because that's where the big money is. And I'm wondering if that's actually true because it does sound very similar to the big let's outsource everything to fill in third world country here and that'll make everything more efficient and cheaper and better for everyone. Uh, We've talked about cloud before and while cloud definitely has advantages, it's flexible, it has its good things, it's never been there to be cheap. It's never been there to solve your problems. It's another way of working, another way of doing things, but it doesn't in itself, in and of itself, change to a point that it becomes miraculous healing of all your ailments. Yeah, and in fact, the the, uh, IBM article on this talks about the fact that even their the sort of cuts being made are across their their Indian teams as well, and uh, in fact, the HPE article even talks about uh, realigning resources to areas of growth, focusing on edge to cloud. So it is. Uh, I mean, I, I really I struggle a little bit with these articles because some of this to me um, just looks like they're they're sort of making or trying to say that they're making strategic changes um, 
but I wonder if all things Corona hadn't hit, would they still be making these changes or are they just using the sort of the downturn of business following uh, the global pandemic to actually start just cutting huge swathes out of their organisations? I I have absolutely zero insight, so no idea. But it just, I, you know, I'm, I think back to the IBM acquisition of Red Hat, uh, which you know now some time ago, and that was for the explicit reason of going to cloud. Mm. And at the time, um, I, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't swear to it, but I'm at least. At least ninety percent certain that they were talking about the fact that you know these these two you know these two companies now unified together, ho ho ho, um, <laughs> would be you know totally complementary, and there will be no sort of reductions in in workforce you know following this. It was all all happy, all hands together, you know, synergy. moving forward together. Yes, definitely, there was some synergy. Um, and uh, yeah, it turns out possibly that was not the case. Um, yeah, I mean, I think definitely the whole uh, human malware going on, I think it's been used as a scapegoat. Uh, you asked the question, I think they would have done this anyway, regardless of Corona, but since it's there, let's do it under the guise of being prepared for the future in this new world. Uh, but I mean, Pivoting like this, these these should be. <laughs> Let's make some assumptions here. Let's uh, say hi to Umption. Uh, this should be something that's a multi-year, well-thought-out plan. This is not something you just change in a couple of months because that would be panic for football. And I cannot imagine the likes of IBM and HP to ever in, uh, indulge in things like panic, uh, panic stuff, panicking. That would not be possible, of course. Now the one thing that does there's two things. Each article has one thing that makes that makes me wonder how does this correlate with the whole thing uh, that they're talking about. And for the IBM one, it's they're actually also cutting in their Watson and AI teams. And I'm assuming maybe it's just uh, let's ten percent of the books uh, from the, from the spreadsheet. It's the easy way to do a uh, reorganization. But if you're gonna go, if you're IBM and you're gonna go to cloud, then you want to go to a SaaS environment. At the moment, the thing that actually it makes total sense to be a SaaS solution are things like neural networks, uh, very big AI, whatevers that have a service. Just send the data point, and rich data point comes back to you. That's what uh, Google, Microsoft, uh, Amazon to a lesser extent, but also are doing very well in the cloud. And it's something that I, as a small or medium business or even a large business or even a multinational but not really technology focused business can't ever do it myself because I don't have the hardware, the know-how and the, the skills for it. So those I, I really wonder why IBM would cut in their Watson AI teams if their cloud's first mentality is the reason behind it. We don't see that. Yeah. And I, you, you also see uh in, again, scattered through a couple of the articles because obviously this is this is fairly big news. But a lot of it is around the uh, the services side of the of certainly on the IBM side, the services side of the organisation. So the the GTS, the Global Technology Services, mm-hmm. and GBS, Global Business Services. Um, they they seem 
well, so the teams have shrunk by 40% for GTS and 25% for GBS, which is, I mean, I, I don't I don't know what those numbers equate out to, but that's got that's to be, that's a lot of, that's easily many tens of thousands of people, I would guess. Definitely. Uh, so I don't, I don't really, yeah, I, this doesn't, this doesn't feel like, um, something that really all lines up to me I, I I I do understand that I do get the whole pivot to cloud but that's that's that can't be all of the story because that suggests that they've just they've only just woken up and gone oh we should do some more of this cloud thing which is just ridiculous like IBM and HP have been chasing all things cloud for years now this is not a this is not a oh we've just woken up and we think we'd like some of this cloud stuff. So I yeah I just don't I just don't trust and don't believe a lot of the uh, sort of the the press on this. I think it's very it's very very spinny for want of a better yeah. phrase. Yeah, it's 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 weird because if anything needs a lot of support personnel, it's Watson because uh, allegedly. Watson isn't the most uh, easy to use out of the box solution it usually pretends to be, but it's usually a very deep and big deployment implementation exercise driven by uh, the support people there. And also IBM, as you said, it's been in the cloud for a long time. They actually they're the fourth or fifth largest public clouds in the world at the moment. I mean, you got the big three: um, Google, Amazon, uh, Azure. Then you got Oracle Cloud. Yeah, chuckle there, and IBM, <laughs> which there it's what's it called, Blue Metal. Uh, I I couldn't tell you. Ah, what's the name of that cloud now? I have to figure it out. You you talk about something uh, quickly. I think it's a blue something. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the one of the things that again the register article on this time on the IBM side uh, sort of talks about right at the very end is uh, it's about you know. One of the questions they ask is: it is this is this reduction about managing the decline of its services business, which to me, I think is kind of an interesting question of does does the journey to cloud require less services? I don't know that I can necessarily. I can see a different services requirement, but I don't know that it's necessarily less of a services requirement although if you start down the journey of of sort of I guess using more and more managed services on cloud providers um, you end up with you know uh, or you should end up with a faster time to market and a uh, you would hope uh, a lesser overhead on your on your own side of you know glue code and things that you need in between to stitch all of these services together. So maybe that is also something that that uh, that makes sense to to frame this new world in. Maybe the the services side of this is uh, is one of the elements that is going to be damaged the most. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I found the name of uh, IBM's cloud by uh, now and it's uh, a very unusual name. It's actually IBM Cloud. There you go. I mean, nobody ever says on the tin. Nobody says IBM was creative, right? <laughs> but it used to be called Softlayer. At least it's based on Softlayer. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Softlayer acquisition was a, a sad time. But there we go. 
Yeah, but actually now, if you're on the basis of IBM, it says, uh, capture the true value of cloud and AI for your business. Okay, that's slashing Watson and AI teams. Interesting. And then IBM Cloud with Red Hat brings together market leading, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Well, the second question I had for the HP article now, uh, I mean, they want to go as a as a service outfit by 2022, according to, according to this article. Now, they sell hardware, don't they? Uh, or is HP yeah, only well, services? I mean, who sells their big servers now? I mean, not the printers. The printers has been spun off. That's the HP commercial entity now. And the PC business is totally spun off as well. But HPE still sells a big, uh, let's call it supercomputer, uh, range of things, don't they? They, they bought uh, yes. SGI. Uh, and Cray. And Cray. So they're going to do supercomputing as a service. Does that mean that they're going to be putting up their own data centers, supercomputers, and then just have that as a service available, which wouldn't be the worst idea in the world because they're already doing this a little bit. I know from my Azure days that they actually had a couple of Crays in there, hardware from Cray, from HP, that, uh, which were available, made available as a SaaS solution for people who didn't have the money to buy their own supercomputers. I mean, who has? But maybe that's how they want to go at this. And I remembered earlier this week that Microsoft had a press release uh, in their build uh, conference that they've actually built a, their own supercomputer in their own data center, again, for uh, make available as a SaaS service. Now, they're, they're very cagey about the whole thing. They're not telling us what it's, uh, what it's made of, or how big it is, or how fast it is. It's just, there's a big supercomputer. But, um, is cheese. That it's, it's made of cheese. <laughs> Gruyere. Supercomputers, <laughs> super, supercomputers and the moon, both made of cheese. Uh, well, the moon is hollow, by the way, so you can put it on the inside, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it's hollow because of all the holes in the cheese. Obviously. Damn. Yeah. Right. Uh, anyway. I'm trying to do a serious podcast here. <laughs> Are we going to talk after, flat earth theory that, next or... <laughs> Oh, dear God, no. <laughs> also, after that thorough derailing, I, I think it is fair to say that uh, it, it, we are definitely in uncharted territory here. And there's there's no sort of... Uh, there's no real sign of where this is all going to end. The, uh, the HPE article talks about a three-year right-sizing plan, effective immediately. Um... I love the word. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know at all where this where this is heading. I'm assuming that the uh, the right sizing plan hasn't all been totally laid out in public. Otherwise, I'm sure there would be a lot more uh, outcry. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I wonder if they have a right sizing. Do they also have a slanty sizing or a, a somewhat curvy sizing? No, <sighs> uh, I don't no. think so. Just right. I mean, also, I think I've mentioned before that they're probably using this whole Corona thing as a scapegoat to do this stuff. I think it's it's wrong. I mean, I'm happy to be working at a company that's not doing it this way, and I'm pretty sure you're in the same boat. But big companies like this using something like a global pandemic to actually accelerate ousting people. Where's the time that a company an enterprise still had a moral obligation to actually care for its workers, care for its employees, to be there for a, some kind of humanitarian reason besides making money? Yeah. Ethics seem to have gone thoroughly out the window on this. And, yeah, I get it. They're, they're a business. They have shareholders they are uh, beholden to. And, and that is... Uh, yeah, that's how they're approaching it. Yes, they definitely could weather the storm. 
they're choosing not to they're and they're choosing, choosing to uh, to sort of sever sever ties with a lot of people uh, as part of that change uh, I mean they're choosing that I mean you can say shareholders and of course shareholders will ask for things but it's like in politics and yeah, I'm going to talk politics here hang on uh, there's always uh, the, the opposition that asks for a lot of stuff and should I get it probably not but it, they should be asking for it so that nothing goes too much to the left or the right or the middle or whatever wants and doesn't have to go it's this to stave off extremism and shareholders would definitely claim for what's due to them, fair. But there should be an oppo- opposing uh, position to kind of pull it back from that extreme point of it's only about the money. And to be honest, uh, the companies I've worked for, I've been lucky, and that includes Microsoft, have been very much employee-centric. And sure, the bigger companies are a bit more spreadsheet-driven than the smaller ones. That's kind of par for the course, I guess. How else would you do it with today's tools? It's what you have. But there's always been a sense of employees matter. If when I read these things from these, I would call them older companies, legacy companies perhaps, but older original type one companies, whatever you want to call it, IBM, HP. Apparently there's totally in the extreme shareholders decides everything corner, which is a problem for the future, I think, because if anything open source has thought, should have taught the world by now, it's that your biggest, as a company, your biggest resource, asset, is your people. It's the hardest to replace, definitely today. Yeah. Yeah. I I think this is going to leave a lot of people very nervous for their futures. Yeah. And there will, you know, as, as with any instability, the first... Uh, the first people that decide they'll move on are the ones that are usually in in highest demand, and Talent. that's uh, that's that's just the way the world works. So, yeah, yeah, it's interesting a, times ahead. It's a bad world, I guess. The world is bad. <laughs> and on that note, and on that glorious note, <laughs> <laughs> doom and gloom all around. And you good? I am good. Dave is good, then everybody, everything is good, and we can safely say it's all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast, become a patron. We need more, we want more patrons. Our shareholders require us to uh, hang on. No, no, if you want to be a patron, <laughs> please thank you. We, we enjoy your patrons very much. Every contribution does help. If you're on YouTube, make Dave happy again. Like him, subscribe to him, ring his bell, do all the YouTube stuff that Dave likes so much. You can go to www.roaringelfen.org. There's a link to Patreon page, more information about the podcast, uh, contact form, and a lot of other goodness uh, about the podcast. Uh, the little document I have in front of me was too small, and I couldn't read the rest of the line, so I'm not going to continue with the fact that I'm also on Twitter. You can use the at Roaring Elephant tag, and you can send your feedback also to email uh, podcast at roaringelfen.org. Until next time, my name is not yet downside, Jon. And my name is Dave. Ah, I put sniffles in the text. But we still look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. <laughs>